dear listener, if you are listening to this podcast, then maybe things haven't been going your way in life. Who knows what led you down this dark path, but here you are, and hopefully we can bring some light to an otherwise meaningless existence. Hello, my name is Jason, and this is the Creative Curmudgeon. And today, I am joined by the comic book creator, R.C. Oz. Uh, In 2024, it'll be 20 years that, uh, that, that we've been friends. I don't know if that fills you with the level of existential dread that it does me that that passage of time, but it's, but it's still been, uh, it's still been nice. Uh, we've played in bands together. You gave my daughter karate lessons for a long time. Uh, we largely communicate through sending each other several dog memes a week. (laughs) And, and now we're, and now we're doing this podcast. So, so thank you for, for joining me today. Absolutely. Sorry it took me so long, dude. <laughs> That's okay. Is there is there anything else you think people should know about you? Uh I don't know. That was pretty good actually. Oh, uh, thanks. I, I'm a I'm a battery man. That's what I call myself. You work in you work in the battery industry. Yeah. <laughs> um I when I bring up comic books. There's a part of me that wants to say like graphic novel. And I, I, I've heard Daniel Klaus talk about how the term graphic novel is horseshit because it's kind of trying to like add this like intellectual edge to to this thing instead of it letting it just be what it is, which is like a comic book. Do you have any opinion yeah. on this or do you agree with that? Uh, I, I always... Uh... I've always called them comics, but I, I also started reading them when I was probably five years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, gra- to me, it just it just seems like a format difference. Like, um, I never thought about it that way. I never saw that Klaus interview, but uh, I always thought of it as like, you know, if it's got 20 pages and it's staple bound, then it's a comic book. And if it's a, if it's a you know, uh, what do they call that binding? Uh, the the glue it's more binding. of a proper long, long book than it's like a graphic yeah, yeah. novel. Then it's a graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a trade paperback, like if it's a collection of comic books. That's kind of, I don't know. I never thought about it that way, though. It I don't think it was sense. like in an interview. I think Klaus is just like in some in some of his comic books, like he'll just like start like talking shit. Uh-huh. So I think oh, it was like, like one of those of things. <laughs> yeah, in all of them. He's just it's just a shit talking fest in all of them. But yeah, it was one of those things. I love him, uh, though. The, the Ray Gun uh, one always gets me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an eight ball, right? Eight ball, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's the kid gets his superpowers from smoking, which I think is hilarious <laughs> and so true. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, what got you into you? You you just brought up that you started reading comics at five, but I'm curious what got you into the uh, creative pursuits to begin with. I think, well, I I started. I remember like I, when I was, I was little, I was probably three or four or something. And my mom and my auntie would always get me, um, my, my auntie worked at the library and when there was like donations they couldn't use or like old ones that they just never, they never checked out, like old books, they never checked out and stuff. Uh, she would kind of like just hand them to us. And there was a bunch of these dinosaur books, like the old ones with all the crazy painting pictures and stuff. 
And I remember just looking at those and just, I don't know why, but I just wanted to draw them. So I, I was trying to draw dinosaurs first. Um, and then from there, I got an X-Men, a class, no, what is it? Not the classic X-Men, but the uh, X-Men Adventures. It was, uh, it was a comic series that was basically just paralleling the, uh, the 90s cartoon. And mm-hmm. uh, I loved the 90s cartoon. And then my, my mom got me the X-Men Adventures. I think it came with a toy or something. Or, like, or the, there was a toy and it came with the comic. Can't quite remember, but I got uh, I got that. And looking through it, it was the it was the one where they're fighting Magneto in that. Uh, it's like episode four or five or something, and they're fighting Magneto in that like toxic uh, waste plant or something, or it's a nuclear plant. I'm not sure. And uh, there was just draw. I just remember I'd never seen pictures like that with all the hatching and all the craziness. And I for some reason I just kept trying to do it and just copying whatever i saw um i don't know like what got me into it i just i just remember just drawing stuff and just having fun doing that like just kind of being in my own little world over there um uh drawing stuff yeah um one thing one thing that i think you and i have in common that has like kind of uh kept us together is that we both at our age engage in activities with our time that most people our age would consider to be very childish. Definitely. And <laughs> there, we, 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 we uh, never outgrew being like Beavis and Butthead to some extent. And so <laughs> like everybody, I think drew when they were, you know, that age and was into X-Men if they grew up in the nineties or whatever, but then they kind of, outgrew it and got into like this thing or whatever whereas for me it's been kind of a concerted effort to like stay in that you know childish mind frame for my own like mental well-being because i like gravitate gravitated naturally towards those things like for a reason because they provided some Mm -hmm. sort of like comfort or a special interest or like whatever and i'm curious if you ever had that sort of like conscious journey where you had to kind of put the brakes on and be like, no, I'm into, I'm into this. Or was it uh, more just like a natural thing for you? Like, did you ever just like not outgrow being into childish things? Uh, oh no. Like I remember, um, well, cause I, I kind of got out of, at that like 12 or 13, I started playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically just replaced one childish thing with another childish thing. Cause right. I kind of, but it, the guitar felt a little more adult, you know, like rock and roll feels a little more adult uh, than comic books, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a coolness to it that like doesn't really, you know, it, 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 you're 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 edgy. You're kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas comic books, I don't know that they have that same, you know, I don't, I don't think you make people win popularity points with comic books in high school necessarily. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, so I. I I did kind of do that. And then, you know, there's all that. There's always pushback. Uh, if you want to do anything in the creative, in the creative world, you're going to always kind of get that pushback from like parents or, uh, or other authority figures in your life. You know, people you might look up to, they're always going to kind of be like, well, that's cool. You do that. But um, what are you going to do with your, with make... your life? Actually? Yeah. What are you exactly. going to do for a career? 
Uh huh. Yeah. And it's, it's all about like money in the end, you know, like, well, you know, you're never going to make money doing that. It's like, well, I don't know. When I was five years old, the last thing that I thought about when I picked up a pencil to draw a dinosaur was uh, money. I had no concept of that then. I just knew that this is what I want to do. And, uh, and so that, you know, you get that pushback with music. And then as kind of, I, I got a little burnt out on music. I played in a bunch of different bands. And uh, I think after a while, I, I turned into just like a hermit about music. And I ended up just making all this music by myself. And none of which I've really put out there. I probably have like 200 songs I just never finished really or, or never showed anybody. Uh, and I realized that I was, if I'm going to be like that um, hermity and like self-contained, it's, it's almost like I only made that music for me in that hermit place. And there, I had no intention of ever showing it to somebody. So then I, it feels bad to like show it to anybody. So I just kind of stopped. And then that, and then the hermit thing just took me right back into comic books again, which is weird. Um, so if I'm understanding you correctly, the fact that you didn't make the songs like with an audience in mind, you then felt like it would be a betrayal of yourself and or the songs to share it with people because you didn't do it initially with them in mind. Kind of, yeah. Almost like uh, it's almost like journal entries or something. Like I, I wrote the songs because it was just something that needed to come out of me. It's not like they were attached to a specific event or, or even feeling. It's it's just kind of like, this is what happened. Like just the way you you know jot down your day in a journal and just whatever mundane thing goes in there, and sometimes profound things come out of it and whatever. But it would it if I took my journal and just like started making copies of all the pages and then formatting it into a book that to me would just feel like I am uh, maybe if it was like for some like process, like showing process or something like that might be cool, but mm. I have no need to show those and those journal entries to other people in order to, to have them and be okay with having made them. Uh, you want it to be yeah. separate, like the things that you, it's like a different kind of fulfillment. The things that you make that you want to share with people, you want that kind of in your brain from the get go. So that a like, bit. yeah. Like some things feel like they're not complete until somebody else looks at it or listens to it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And other things are just there for me to get that out of my head. So I don't have to think about it anymore or, or hear it in my brain going constantly or something like that. It's a, um, uh, yeah, some things just are complete by just getting them out of me and other things aren't complete until somebody else looks at them and, and, uh, kind of makes it their own thing in their head, uh, puts their interpretation on it, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I see both sides of it. I, I heard Rick Rubin a few days ago say something to the effect of how art, um, needs to be made because like you are making it for yourself and then there's like a kind of a genuineness to it like when it gets out into the world which resonated with me uh and it's something that i i try to keep in mind because i remember just like unconsciously in the past like doing one thing or not doing one thing because i was kind of like seeking approval from like other people so just mm -hmm. at least like being aware of that but i also see like the the counter argument of that where if like if you 
aren't creating it as like some sort of conversation uh and then it comes out in a conversational sort of way like for other people then it can also be seen as like masturbatory so mm -hmm. like so i see both cool. sides i think i'm more on the rick rubin side but i see like what you're saying as well oh yeah no definitely um yeah it, uh well at the end of the day all of that that hermitage and just uh and journaling i guess musically just got me to the point where i just kind of felt jaded about playing in a band again or anything so i i just stepped away from it uh, yeah that's ultimately where it led um one of these days it'd be cool to do a band again something like that but um yeah it just kind of led me away from music to be doing that and then back into drawing and and uh, trying to do like sequential art and stuff and and uh that feels more like something where even if that is a journal entry it feels like a more appropriate format to to share um and get that feedback um to complete it so to speak yeah and if you're if you're like me and like a lot of people that are in their 30s then it's like like i i i have a lot of admiration for people that have been able to continue to play in bands like in their 30s 40s 50s and beyond just because it's a lot of mental energy working around like that those egos and like getting them together multiple times a week and then like mm -hmm. you know if you're the main songwriter teaching things to like multiple people just uh and even just like you know getting along personally like it's a lot of work so so Definitely. Like with me, like I've been doing music a lot, like on my own and things like that. And you, you know, with you with comic books, it seems like a natural, like by the, by your thirties, one way or another, you're kind of like, this is bullshit. I'm uh -huh. just going to like, I'm, 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 I'm just going to do my own thing and like be at peace with that and not worry about like the schedules of other people and making other people happy or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's hurting cats. Definitely. Uh, mm -hmm. At a certain point, I don't want to herd cats anymore. I just want to do my thing. Right. You know? um, so you do uh, Rat Kids right now. The comic, the ongoing comic series that you have is Rat Kids. I meant to mention that earlier. I don't know if I don't think I did. But what are Rat Kids? Rat Kids are. Uh, uh, technically, they're superheroes, I guess. Um, they're uh, they're wrestlers mutants i guess uh they're actually called comet born people um so the the premise the initial there's a there's a prologue uh for the entire thing and it's i'm printing them right now but every single uh issue is going to have that little prologue is like an inside cover mm -hmm. and it basically just says uh that at some untold time in the future this all takes place in some kind of pseudo future i guess it could be 20 years from now it could be 10 years from now it's vague but there's a comet that is uh racing towards earth the world's governments it's it's an optimistic view the world's governments come together to build a missile to take the comet out before it destroys the planet and they succeed but fragments of it uh still come and hit the earth in various places and one of the places is phoenix arizona and uh this spawns what they're mutants but they in the comic they call them comet borns because they have comet dna it's a uh where the fragments hit like contain sort of particles that latch onto dna and change physiology and give people powers basically um or turn them into freaks 
and uh the rat kids are basically some of these comet born people uh orphans um who choose to use their powers and their charisma to help homeless people principally in the beginning um and they want to do that they want to raise funds to help homeless people by uh putting on a wrestling uh show mm-hmm. uh, so they're they're technically luchadors um and then it kind of goes from there it, it, from there it's just all sorts of bonkers but yeah mm-hmm. there's five of them uh there's a yellow one who uh basically has like human torch powers he's the fire one um there's a blue one who has you know like ice man or something like that, like freezing powers or sub-zero, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. A red one who has telepathy. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the gray one, which has, he has like gravity powers. Um, and then there's a purple one uh, who's has not discovered their powers yet, but uh, it's coming in the next issue, actually. So it'll be fun. That sounds really fun to make. And it seems like you're really doing like i was kind of saying a few minutes ago like you're really doing your your 10 year old self is solid oh yeah i like committing to like okay like no i'm gonna i'm gonna see this this dream through i'm gonna i'm gonna keep this going but yeah that sounds awesome um no i very much i very much enjoy it it's uh i think very similar in style to the lee ditko kirby 60s era of marvel uh the plentiful uh word bubbles and a lot of the like wise cracks and whatnot remind me a lot of like you know old spider-man obviously but a lot of stuff from that era i don't know if you disagree with that but that's that's the read that oh, i got no, from it definitely but i mean it is pretty much just me uh nurturing my my child self to to do this comic book um I, the first rat kids that I ever made was uh, something called lava rat. Uh, so when I was in first grade, I had a really good friend named Rob, Mr. Rob Dukes. I, I don't know where he is now, but we were like best buds back in the day. And uh, we went to have Chinese food with his mom. And at the, I forgot where it was. It's was like dragon palace or something, but they had these little placemats on the tables and it had the Chinese Zodiac on it. And so we were like reading that and, you know, it's, it's by the year and the, we were both born in 84 and that's the year of the rat. And so we were like, Oh, we're rat kids. And, uh, and so then we just made up these characters. His was rat kid and mine was lava rat. And, uh, it's awesome. And when we would draw little comics together and I, I still have the very first lava rat it's on like notebook paper and my auntie took it and laminated it at the uh at the library and uh so yeah it's it literally is like a tribute or not a tribute but uh me nurturing my uh my childhood that was first grade uh, you said uh i first grade is when we made them up and we would kind of draw a little whatever but the the lava rat issue i did in third grade okay well yeah, yeah a little later yeah, I wonder. I wonder what Rob Dukes is up to. If he's, uh, if I know. he's still doing comic books or anything. That, I don't that would know. Be wild. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome if he. If it turned out he was doing comics. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know though. He was. Uh, 
he might have been doing something with he, he might have got into like farming or ran, like ranch work or something because i know his mom was uh was really into that and he was really into it too so i don't know well listeners like if you have it. any uh any knowledge about the whereabouts of mr rob dukes please uh <laughs> please, please reach out and let us know yeah please do um do you use primarily paper do you do you draw on on the computer how how, how are comics made these days uh, it's it's all over the place for me. Um, it just depends um, on time and where I am at the at the, at the time I'm making it. Um, I started off. I, I have a, a Wacom Cintiq. It's like a big screen with with a pen that goes to it, and you can draw on the screen, which is pretty cool. Um, and I kind of started off doing everything there, but sometimes digital. Digital's great because it's fast and I can get a lot of stuff done. Like I can kind of, I can do the entire process together sometimes um, digitally. So I'll, I'll actually like color and draw and sketch out and letter like kind of all at the same time because I can work in all these different layers. And um, I use, I use a uh, clip studio paint. It's like a, it used to be called manga studio back in the day. Um, but it's cool. It's kind of like Photoshop where you can like, you can have all these different layers and you can kind of jump between layers and yeah, that, that feels really chaotic. And that's how I did the first few. And then at some point I just wanted to move to, uh, to a more traditional thing of Bristol board and, uh, and, you know, just pencils and inks and stuff. So I use, a I use just like 11 by 17 bristol and uh, just number two pencil and then a sable hairbrush and micron pens for some of the stuff they uh interrupted uh the issue with all of the uh it's like a giant octopus cyclops monster thing shows up in the middle of phoenix um the first i want to say it's the first half of that like first 11 or so pages is completely digital and then the next half of it is the more traditional method and then colored digitally. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Um, so basically, if I'm understanding it correctly, the first, the, like the program that you were talking about, it's like you would draw this character over here on this sheet and then you draw like this explosion over here on this sheet and then you would just kind of like layer a bunch of stuff eventually like on top of each other. Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, kind of. More like... Uh... It's more like, uh, so you might have a layer that's your rough, like a rough sketch, just kind of trying to lay out the panels and and organize a page and organize the panels, the composition of each panel. And then over the top of that, you'll throw, I'll throw the inks down. And then underneath all of that is where the colors are going to be. So that'll be kind of sitting there underneath the inks and the pencils. Um and then by jumping around, so I might like traditionally, I'll usually do an entire page in pencils first, and then I'll come to the inks. And then that gets photographed and thrown on the computer, and then I'll color it with a layer underneath all that. There's a really cool setting where you can turn all of the, the brightness of the picture into transparency. So all the black line stays, but all the white space uh, is transparent now. So then mm. if you color behind it, it shows through the 
uh, kind of kind of like cell animation, where I, I don't know if you've seen like some of those documentaries with cell animation where they'll have a little bit. Yeah, like they'll have like the pencils and then they'll take a, a clear sheet of paper and do like the inks and the and the and paint the colors in over the top of that. And then that sits over a background kind of thing. So I might have on Rat Kids, it'll be like the background is its own layer. And then the colors for that are behind that layer. And then the the characters might be their own layer. And then the lettering is its own layer too. Um, but on like on paper, I do it all there i do the lettering and everything on the same page so that's a little bit it's a little more involved because i have to uh really make sure that i know what i want with the rough pencils before i go in with the inks because after the inks go in it's not um uh it's it's not uh non-correctable because there's always white paint to throw over the top of stuff but really don't want to have a ton of white paint all over the page uh sure trying to you know trying to correct everything yeah it seems like there's a lot more steps to what you were describing initially with things being like a lot more digital than like writing by hand but then it's it seems like even though there's less steps for just like drawing stuff by hand that like there's more on the line mm -hmm. yeah definitely there's a what i like about it is that it requires more intent like if I'm doing stuff digitally, if I fuck up and do a, a weird line somewhere, um, I can just, I, I can erase it really easily or, you know, uh, control Z, undo it, and you have mm -hmm. infinite undos, basically. Right. Um, so it can be nice because it, it's sort of like uh, the difference between recording music analog versus, uh, you know, in a more digital cut and paste kind of fashion where that digital can kind of give you that freedom to improvise a little bit and then use the best parts of that improvisation to craft a craft a song kind of thing. Whereas like with a more analog traditional way of recording music, it, it's uh, you generally want to have your parts down. You don't want to be wasting tape, right? Like know what you're getting into when you go in there to, to lay your tracks down. Um, it's sort of the same. Like if I don't, I have to make decisions early on on the page before I start layering it up with fancy stuff and detail and all of that. And if I don't have those decisions made, it can be really, it can just shoot you in the foot and I'll, I'll just draw myself into a corner and have to start over sometimes. Um, whereas digitally I can do, I can jump all over the place and improvise because I have that, that freedom of, uh, of being able to, undo and, and go back to whatever i had before at any time i think there's merit to both yeah i so I'm, if i'm understanding correctly just when you're doing stuff more freehand like you kind of have to have a lot more in place as far as like beginning to end this happens on this page this happens on this page there's this many pa panels on this page versus like if you're going into it in more of a in more of a jam band sort yeah. of uh sort of mentality uh-huh how often do you do because you said you've been drawing more by hand lately so like i'm assuming that like every comic is like like you i'm assuming that you have everything laid out pretty concretely before you even start like making the comic then am i understanding correctly not always actually um yeah. it runs all over the place because sometimes what i'll usually do is i have a notebook where i just kind of jot out like really rough 
uh, things of kind of how I want the story to move. It won't even be panels. It'll just be kind of like, I see this image in my head of like yellow screaming at the gray rat kid, something like that. So I'll start there. And then, and I know the idea of the story in mind. So it'll just kind of, it's kind of like, you know, like a, like a, a brainstorming thing. You're just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. It'll start there. And then I'll move that to like more, how do I fit these ideas into panels and make it try to make it make sense on the page? Um, and sometimes I'll have the whole thing laid out. I think the, the third, the wrestling one, the second one, um, mm-hmm. the junior CBW junior comet born wrestling. Most of that was pretty, I, I worked like panel by panel and, had it pretty concrete all the way through before I did any sort of inking or, or anything like that. But like the first one, uh, security, that one I literally just did on the Wacom and kind of improvised every panel and it just came together that way. Um, interrupted, I worked a page at a time, like completely finishing a page and then moving on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm still trying to find my what process i'm like comfy doing all the time and maybe i never will find a process i'm comfy doing all the time i feel like i'm always searching and trying new stuff um it just keeps things interesting keeps me there's a lot of drawing a comic is a lot of just sitting at a desk by myself listening to podcasts whatever and, and then and just keep finding ways to keep myself entertained like drawing funny faces on the characters or um or whatever and th- that just helps me to uh or you know just changing up the process all the time it it it, it all depends on how the idea comes to me i guess eventually uh, you'll get that light bulb moment and then you'll know yeah. it and then you, and then you can just like go in that direction but there's a lot of like in between time definitely lots of searching first uh <laughs> and trying and failing and trying and failing. And then at a certain point when the one thing works, it'll like, I've, I've done stuff where entire little, little segments of stories will just kind of pop out as I'm drawing them, Mm -hmm. uh, which wasn't something that I planned. But then once it pops out, it's like, Oh, that's pretty cool. I can, I can take a little detour here for this page and get this idea out and then kind of, jump back on what the main idea is uh yeah it's i i don't know i think i'm still really just trying to find what is the comfy thing that i can do all the time or or maybe i just won't maybe i'll I'll always be trying different stuff and um i kind of have that adhd of i i just always am uh i think i i did it with music too like i i was always a pain in the ass and the person that was like, Oh, we kind of did that before. Let's do this now. And then it's like, well, okay. All right. All right. And then 50 things later, I'm like, I'm breaking up the band <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you want to keep yourself entertained and like there, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you're, 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 you're definitely not somebody who just kind of like lets things go like a lot longer to the point where all the steam is out of it. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely need like constant 
new or or just I I want to feel like I'm pushing myself whenever I do something. I don't feel right just kind of dialing in, uh, dialing in the work. I want to really feel like I I pushed myself and that was the best I could do in that moment for that that thing that I just made. And then right. forget about it and move on and learn from those mistakes and try to fix them in the next thing that I do. Um, so that kind of goes into what I ask a lot of people, which is like, do you, and I going, going back to you being like, you know, a professional battery man where <laughs> you don't have a lot of time to work on this. And so I would imagine you really have to, work to make it work i don't know if you're like kafka i think kafka if i recall correctly he would like it was either kafka or lovecraft where they would just like work like insane hours and then they would like write in place of sleeping and then they would sleep like very little and then they would go back to work weirdly enough they both died young so it could <laughs> go figure but it was like it was one or the other i don't remember which one but maybe both but yeah i, I would imagine you have to like really like kind of even sacrifice sleep sometimes in order to get things done. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I work at least 40 hours a week, but usually it can, it can turn into uh, 70 plus hours a week. Um, just depending. Um, yeah. I don't even, I don't even know. Like, the work gets done. I'll, I'll get home and uh, usually I just sit and I'll, and I'll sketch for a while and that kind of relaxes me. It's almost like I have to do a little bit of that to get into the mind space to, uh, to be able to, I don't really know. That's a good question. Um, managing the time and stuff is just is just weird because like some days i'll get up early I, I'll, I usually have to open the store by eight o'clock and get there by 7 30 usually um so there are days where yeah i'll sacrifice sleep get up at four and do a couple hours of some panels or whatever then go to work be at work all day i hopefully get out by 4 30 something like that and just come back home and and hit it again and just keep keep playing with stuff and and pumping it out. I don't really have a very consistent because of because of work. I don't have a consistent schedule for when I'm going to work on comics because mm -hmm. there's also the the inspiration thing too. It's like I don't always feel like after a nine hour day coming home and busting out panels. Um. Yeah, it is definitely work to work on it. But when I do work on the comic, I feel so much better than if I didn't do it. Sure. So that's a that's um it's a weird trade-off. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's really strange. It's a I and I've always had pretty poor sleeping patterns anyways. I I get bouts of insomnia pretty frequently. Um and yeah, it, when if you can't sleep anyways, might as well do something fun and, and 
yeah. yeah and i'm sure with like visual art or you know even with like music in in my experience like there's a like even if you're exhausted there's also like a meditative aspect to you know if you're just like working on one picture for a, a long period of time then like you can kind of like zone out mm -hmm. so that seems beneficial too um definitely how do you decide i've 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 always uh I've, I've always wondered this with uh with comic books and i'm also the calvin and hobbs fan and oh, like yeah. the panels are just batshit <laughs> it, compared to like a typical sunday morning comic or whatever where it's just like you know three to a line and then right, the punchline right. at the end um and so i'm curious how you decide okay i've written out because I'm assuming you kind of like write out everything and then start like drawing it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Um, sometimes the picture comes stuff. first. The what? Sorry. Sometimes, like, the, sometimes the picture comes first, the drawing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. Um, usually it's, it's the, um, it's the idea of the story first. So it'll be some sort of some premise and then I'll kind of sketch around that premise. And once I have kind of, it'll just take like a few images uh, where it's like, oh, I like that angle or um, I like that pose or or something like that. And I'll, I'll get like kind of a little image in my head of it. And then that'll just kind of spiral from there. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the writing happens, the actual writing, writing, uh, happens right there on the page so i'll just i'll just letter it as i hear as i think about what the dialogue is doing what these characters might do um i think at first i was writing stuff out a lot more for i i actually did like issue four and five first um and that was pretty much all played played out for uh beforehand and then i and then i went in and worked on it but after that it seems like the more I, I work with the characters, they kind of develop more personality. And then it doesn't feel like writing them as much as it feels like as I'm drawing them, listening to like what, the, what they might be saying, which sounds weird, but mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's sort of like giving the characters that room to, to have their own voice and, and trying to listen to what that could be as I'm, as I'm putting it out there. Yeah. So, you're yeah, not forcing I, things like that, 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 that makes sense. You're not forcing your own ideas into like these, like formed what you want to be like fully formed characters that exist outside of you to some extent. Yeah, definitely. They're um, yeah. Giving that space to just like, cause they all started off very different too. Like the, the fourth and fifth one, there's this character named Magnolia. Who's like the main uh, antagonist of, of it's like a three part issue thing. But you can see, like, the style's different on that one. Uh, and the characters, too. Like, I didn't quite have them, their designs all together. I knew there's a there's five different uh, colors and, you know, the, the kind of the shape of each of them kind of thing. But then as I keep drawing them, they all start to uh, mold into something that's more akin to what, what they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um I guess it, it's it makes me think sort of of like uh, like you see. I actually really enjoy this in in cartoons and comics and stuff. But the uh, 
the Simpsons, like the first season, or maybe it's just the first episodes of the first season or something, but like Homer doesn't quite have Homer sounds more like Walter Matthau than like Homer. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the, he, he, the he's anim- not, he's not quite, he's not Homer yet really in that like first yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. And like in the animations a little bit, you know, not quite there. It's a little dodgy in parts and the, the right. character designs aren't quite there, but I, I, I enjoy that. And I never really thought about it until I was working on my own characters. And then, you know, I'll, cause I'll just kind of go. And then I, once I'm done with an issue, I just put it away and I don't, I don't look at it. I go to the next thing and, but then having to post them and stuff. And then I look at them again to edit and, and make sure I have all my, my ducks in a row. Uh, I'm like, Oh, they're, they're coming together. Like the purple looks different here than they do in this other issue mm-hmm. going forward. Or yellow is like smaller now than he used to be. Or um, yeah, I think things like that. Uh, it's a, it's a process for sure. Right. Um, going back to my initial question about panels, like I would assume when you're just kind of like laying out, like, let's say there was an X-Men page and it was just like three pictures and then like two of them were Wolverine and Rogue talking. And then the third one, like Apocalypse shows up and goes, ah, Uh like it would be clear, obviously, that Apocalypse would get the most like that's that's the that's the hit like that he would get the most room on that page as opposed to wolverine and rogue just shooting the shit but i'm just curious if you if anything else goes into your decision making as far as like this over here is going to go over here in this corner and then this panel is going to be slightly bigger this one's going to be this size like how do you usually make those decisions uh it it depends on what i want to emphasize so if it's um like yeah so if it was it depends on what wolverine and rogue are talking about so if uh if this is just like you know hey you know hey good morning like you want some bacon and eggs whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> want some coffee you know if it's just mundane stuff yeah i might keep them as sort of a, a tiny panel and the t- you know have a few panels at the top or something like that that are just short and small uh, and then do the big apocalypse coming through the wall with the Kool-Aid man or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's but, actually, um, that, that's actually exactly what I envisioned. I envisioned a wall being involved <laughs> in that. So yeah, thank you for, yeah, you read my mind. <laughs> uh, but it might be something where Wolverine and Rogue are having like a very serious conversation about something uh, at which point that might tie into like maybe the serious I, I'm thinking of that whole thing where Rogue wants to Apocalypse is, is disguised as like a scientist or something who is advertising that he can get rid of people's mutant powers. Mm-hmm. And Rogue, this makes sense why she would want to she can't touch anybody. Uh, right. You know, she can never experience any sort of intimacy or anything like that. And so it makes sense why she would want to lose her power. Maybe if that's what's going on in the conversation, it might be a different story. I might I might actually take two pages just to do that and have Apocalypse sort of show up maybe as something lurking in the background that's ominous and don't have him burst through the page, through the, through the wall uh, until maybe another page and, and try to add more weight, like uh, make him a little spookier or something. Maybe he's looking through a window while they're sitting there talking about this serious thing. 
something like that. Um, it just depends. It depends on what, if I want to emphasize their conversation more, or if I want to emphasize the Kool-Aid man moment or, or not even show the Kool-Aid man moment. If, if, if anything, you might not want to even know who's busting through the wall, uh, depending on what happens later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, by and large, if it's apocalypse bursting through a wall, you're probably going to want to show that. Like, that's the coolest thing. <laughs> right. Regardless of the drama or the violence or whatever, like if you're looking at it and this has, this is the exclamation point part yeah. of this interaction one way or another, then that, that gets the most, that gets the most space. That makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, um. So I'm curious, because uh, you are a, a one person rat kids operation similar Mm -hmm. to similar to me with this uh with this podcast you don't you don't have a crew you haven't hired a team and so uh you are you are a do-it-yourself like as far as both making it and then also getting it out into the world i have a rough idea with music as far as you know putting stuff on band camp and reaching out for shows or whatever Mm -hmm. um how that kind of thing works, but I'm not sure how that works with, uh, with comic books. Like how do you go about getting your stuff out there? Oh man, that's a, that's a learning process all by itself. Um, I'm still figuring it out. I, right now I post to tapas, which is a really cool web comic format. Um, I post on the duck web comics, which is, it's been around for a while now, probably about 20 years or so the duck has been around. Um, and then, and then I just post on like Instagram and things like that. I have, I'm, I'm in the process now of making prints of all the rat kids issues. Each one will be about, it'll be 32 pages and contain two stories, one kind of longer 20 page, and then, and then a shorter, you know, five to 10 page. And uh, I really like that kind of, that feels old school now because most most comics now are uh uh you know at 20 pages at most usually they're like 17 18 now and they only have like three panels on a page and stuff it's a very different game i'm talking like you know the big two the dc marvel kind of stuff um mm-hmm. and i i always when you brought up ditko kirby stanley that classic marvel silver age kind of thing that's that's totally what i've tried to tailor this after it's got that kind of because that's what i grew up reading jack kirby is my favorite artist probably of all time yeah he's um, amazing yeah like he just the, uh, the collage stuff me. you showed me a while back like that was like that i i didn't even know that he did stuff outside of comic books for a long time that stuff's amazing yeah so good and then he did that in the comics too for some stuff there's like some fantastic mm-hmm. fours where they're going through some portal and he's using I don't even know what the pictures are of like some of them look like bike spokes like bicycle spokes and like and yeah he'll make like galaxies out of all these things and and, and collage them together um and then his his action to me his, he does the best action uh probably ever uh but then i love ditko too and he's kind of like a polar opposite ditko was always a, f- a very linear uh, in comparison, Kirby's got people flying off the page and all this foreshortening of figures and, and you know, just dynamism everywhere and, and all this stuff. And it, I always felt like Ditko kind of did things in a more 
uh, linear but dramatic. For some reason, the linear part, like it really works for Spider-Man because you have, you know, Spider-Man's kind of the most shit on hero ever. Like he's completely guilt, guilt driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Ditko, as far as I don't know a lot about Ditko, but I do know he was. Uh, yeah, because he like left the whole thing like pretty early, right? Like wasn't he just there for like the first year of like Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah, he left. Uh, yeah, I want to say I want to say it was like only about a year, maybe a year and a half or something. Um, but uh, yeah, his, his the I feel like the best comics do a little bit of both. It's a little bit of Ditko, a little bit of Kirby, um, right? And you're good, and you're good. Uh, if you can get a little Ditko in there and a little Kirby in there, you're good. Uh, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, so thank you for for joining me today. Uh, I encourage everybody to check out Rad Kids. I also wanted to share that I appreciate that it takes place in Phoenix. We, we, we've talked about Phoenix a couple of times in this and I uh, very much it, it reminds me of visiting Albuquerque and how Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul take place in Albuquerque. And so like every it. It seems like there's a lot of people in Albuquerque that are probably sick of it at this point, but there's also like a lot of Breaking Bad, like tourist stuff, because it's like, fuck, yeah, like this is this is our thing to an extent like this is putting us on the map versus like if someplace I always complain about when we when we're watching TV or movies that like things take place in either New York or they take place in Los Angeles. And it's like, at this point, who gives a fuck? So it's 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 nice to uh, it's 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 nice to see my city represented when i'm when i'm reading this so kudos to you no thank you yeah i i like that too uh there's a there's a whole host of characters coming up that definitely because i'm I'm not interested in just showing phoenix as like a great place but also showing all the the good the bad and the ugly Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of phoenix and some of the problems we have here um so yeah, I have a, a whole host of villains coming up here that are uh, going to be pretty interesting. Uh, there's, um, uh, yeah, but uh, we'll just have to see. <laughs> but yeah, there's Very more exciting. of the underbelly of Phoenix going to be represented uh, as as things move forward, for sure. So, I'm 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 excited to see that. I uh, I was going to end by asking you as I will be asking guests until I grow tired of it, um, whenever that may be, uh, about a book, a film, and a song that were particularly inspirational to them uh, creatively. And I, I'm curious what what your answers are. Uh, a book is, there's so many, That's a it's a hard question, but uh, the there's a series by Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, the, the Earthsea trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing just, uh, I, I didn't read that as a kid or anything. I, I read that actually with, uh, with Alex, our, uh, our mutual friend, my ex, um, who I'm still best friends with. Uh, we shout, read shout, that out to, shout out to Alex. If you're listening to this, hell yeah, Alex. What's up? Um, yeah, we, we read that together and uh, it just floored me because before I read it, I was kind of used to, you know, like Tolkien 
kind of fantasy um, with lots of like world building and the writing and, and uh, you know, 50 pages explaining the cathedral of some whatever um, at the very, and then everyone's like, you know, Eurocentric uh, like for some reason there that, People have a hard time imagining brown people in fantasy. Um, I don't know why. Uh, but Wizard of Earthsea was like the first thing that I read where like the protagonist is like a brown guy. And uh, and the way that uh, Kayla Gwynn tells the story, it's just really succinct. Um there's I I I don't know much about her actually, but I did read something about her being Taoist or being interested in Taoism or something like that, and it's that's interesting to me because her writing makes me think of the Tao Te Ching. It's got just there's a lot said in very little. So like every single paragraph is like telling you so much without bogging you down with you know exposition and stuff like that it's like the character thoughts themselves tell you a lot about the world and and move the story along i think each book is only a little over i want to say the biggest one is probably 200 pages at most so they're all pretty small easy to read books but they just it's easy also to sit there read a page and then and then take an hour to just think about what i what i just read and uh and what she's talking about and there's there's stuff about magic in there that's really fun she has this thing with uh knowing the proper name of something gives you power over that something or someone hmm. so there's there's like dragons in it that have they will never tell you their real name and if you find out your their real name you can have power over that dragon to make it do what you want or or you know to to basically hold it hostage to to make it leave you alone or whatever you need uh have power over it but yeah i would say wizard of earth that's if you haven't read it i definitely recommend it it's fantastic i've only read the word of the word of world is forest and it was it was oh, great yeah. and, I've, and i've always meant to read left hand of darkness and earth sea trilogy and dispossessed and all of those so yeah 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 i'll try to get on that but yeah Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one uh, movie. Um, I Ever since you showed me Glenn or Glenda, that was 20 years ago, I guess. Um, it just pops in my head all the time. It's it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Shout out to Ed Wood. I still have all of those VHSs of Glenn or Glenda and Plan 9 from Outer Space and so on. That's awesome. Yeah, that I love Ed Wood. I I uh there's just something there's a genuineness so to it. There's like a Daniel Johnstonness to his uh to his filmmaking that's really endearing. Definitely. It, it's it's amazing. And that I love that movie particularly because it just the parts where it's sort of explaining his dilemma as a man who wants to wear women's clothes, it is so just, you know, and then uh glenn has a very dark secret and it's right. got this it's a very i don't know like a like it makes me think of like those videos the really old videos that would like talk about you know 
proper etiquette and stuff like that, like from the fifties or whatever. It's where, definitely narrated like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has that. And, uh, and then the, <laughs> the parts with Bela Lugosi, it's really sad when you think about where Bela was at, at the time of mm-hmm. uh, that filming, but it's also, it just is some of the greatest, funniest, disturbing uh, little bits when he just shows up. <laughs> Right. And, it's fair. <laughs> um, and there's something like really like heartwarming about like their friendship, how like at the time Lugosi was like, you know, dismissed by everybody. And then like yeah. Ed Wood reached out to him. Like there's something like very like warm hearted about seeing that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's uplifting. I, uh, yeah, I just, I just love that movie. Everything about it just, uh, just cracks me up. Uh, but also it's inspiring. It's like, you know, if he could make this with the best of intentions and just kind of end up with this hodgepodge mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy thing, like what's what's holding me back from? Because I think, especially like at the time where you showed me that movie, I was very much like a perfectionist in terms of like, I I didn't want anyone to see anything that I did unless I thought it was like perfect. And not, right. of course- perfect just doesn't exist and uh stuff like that and uh at, around that same time i was getting more into punk rock because i was always like a metalhead growing up mm-hmm. and a lot of punk rock kind of gave me that feeling too like uh the, the germs especially when i heard that i was like wow this is terrible but it's fantastic <laughs> and uh, it's a great description of the germs yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so the, just that glenn or glenda kind of has it's very punk rock to me because it it's terrible but it's amazing all at the same time and uh uh yeah it kind of helps that helped me to get a bit different mentality i'm like you know oh it doesn't have to be this perfect you know uh this perfect thing to 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 work on it I don't perfect doesn't exist and perfect and in, in whose eyes uh, just do it and get it done and, and move on. Yeah. And uh, the blemishes will give it like a lot more character. character. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a cliche, but I think that's like very true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, let's see. So then book movie and uh song. Yeah. There's uh when I was four, 14, yeah, 14, I I used to go to, so I started playing guitar at like 12 and uh, used to go to Zia Records all the time. There used to be one, I went to Shea Middle School and there used to be a Zia Records off of Shea and uh, 32nd Street. Like That's where I bought there. my first Minor Threat CD, my first right. Pixie CD, my first Subhuman CD, like a lot of things took place at that i think it's a post office now but a lot of things like when yeah. i drive by it it's like that's that's where i became me sort of was on that corner totally yeah me too we totally have that in common uh i used to go in there and i remember i saw i used to get guitar world magazine my my mom got me a subscription for it and so mm-hmm. i would get all of those and there was some article in there and it was these crazy scandinavian looking dude standing like amidst a forest landscape with like bc rich guitars <laughs> mm-hmm. and 
and it was they were called emperor and i was like oh that that's interesting and there was some you know highfalutin description of their music and but i just thought like those guys look cool and then i'm at zia and looking around through stuff and i find an emperor cd used and it's uh in the night side eclipse and the very first song on it uh into the infinity of thoughts it's just it's like terrible production uh the keyboards are too loud. There's way too much reverb on everything. Uh, and it just, it just inspired the hell out of me. When I heard that at 14 years old, I'm listening to this thing. And before that, you know, I was kind of into stuff, Black Sabbath, of course. And I was into Tool and Smashing Pumpkins and uh, uh, Rage Against the Machine and Metallica, you know, just all those kind of staple guitar things that everybody gets into learning when they pick up an electric guitar. Right. And uh, and then I heard that Emperor song and that whole album, really. And it just kind of blew my brain apart. And it, it kind of it it uh, like informed my 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 musical palette for like different flavors. Before that, I was kind of under the impression that like it needs to be like good production you know it's a quote good production and uh everything needs to be clear and, and whatever but then hearing that it was like oh this this is dirty and crazy sounding and like poorly recorded but it adds something to it kind of the the you know blemish gives a character idea right um but in this it's like taking the blemish and turning it into atmosphere like turning turning it into it's not just a, a incidental to how it was done but it's almost it's done on purpose they're looking for that sound on purpose they want it to sound like shit and right I, and, and I, I really like that and it was just apparent right off the gate that that's this is what they wanted versus this is maybe there was circumstance and budget involved too but but they ran with that and they're they're doing this to to add to it not not because they just couldn't afford better production methods um, right and then you know from there like that kind of gave my ear the experience of lo-fi recording and made it easier to get into other things like you know getting into the germs or or getting into uh men's recovery project that's some weird recordings there too or oh yeah uh that kind of that kind of weirdness um the first punk that i remember getting into is like rudimentary peni and that was a rawness that was totally different from the black metal stuff and yeah i went from like no effects to listening to rudimentary peni and like i love it uh, uh i love rudimentary peni but like at the time initially i was like what is this yeah yeah totally <laughs> Yeah, I, I love no effects too. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, they're, 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 they're dickheads. But yeah, of course they have their they they have their charm. They have, yeah, they, have, they they have an they're, they're themselves. Even if them them being themselves is are dickheads, like they're they're definitely props <laughs> to them for being themselves. Yeah, I, I, right, I, right. I, def, I definitely have a soft spot for them. Um, definitely. Well, thanks for doing this, and thank you dear listener for listening please check out rat kids all one word uh somewhere on the on t- where, what were the websites they're on 
Uh, there's uh, theduckwebcomics.com and tapas.io is the uh, the other site. There's some of it up on uh, Webtoon as, as well. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty soon I will have some uh, some links to purchase some uh, printed copies as well. I, I look forward to that. And please, dear listener, consider donating a tip for this fine podcast on Venmo.com backslash the creative curmudgeon. And thank you for listening. And RC Oz, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been great.